in. First penalty over. Out of the box. McTavish tipped to him. Short-handed. Score! Mason McTavish! A short-handed goal with 12 seconds left. And the Ducks lead 4-3. Unbelievable. They have a 3-0 lead. I talked about the first third of the game. Right now, Texas is owning the first third of the game. Now Seeger to right center field. Way back there. Seeger does it again. That one didn't end with an empty netter. It ended with an overtime winner, and he's open now in the middle for his second career hat trick. And there it is. Sports Radio is back in the Edmonton area. This is Sports 1440 and the Kevin Carius Show. Here we go, and a good Wednesday morning to you on Sports 1440. Thanks so much for tuning in. Uh, Not too bad out there today, driving into work, uh, about minus two. Looking for a similar day as we had yesterday for all the trick-or-treaters, plus six or so today. Man, uh, we had tons of kids at the house and in the neighborhood in uh, Laurier last night. It was good to see uh, so many nifty costumes and uh, uh, the parents out with the little ones and things like that. I'm sure everyone has the same uh, kind of experiences that uh, uh, they uh, ventured out, to, you know, I don't know, around supper time, just after supper and kind of saw so many kids out. And that's what it's all about, uh, getting uh uh, you know, out in the neighborhood, it was a nice night for a walk. It was great. The kids out, dogs out, parents out. So, uh, hopefully, everybody had more uh, treats than tricks. Uh, send us a text one eight three three four zero one fourteen forty. How was your Halloween? And uh, on the subject of tricks and treats, obviously a big trick when you wake up in the morning and you see, well. Basically, the uh, Las Vegas Raiders change everything in their coaching and GM department, firing uh, general manager Dave Ziegler and head coach Josh McDaniels late, late last night. Um, Man, what a franchise in disarray. Uh, You know, go back to all those great Raider teams with... You know, the the visuals of John Madden and, and you know, Jim Plunkett and Lyle Elzado and, you know, all the great receivers, Casper, uh, you know, the, it's just, and then to see where they've gone now and you see them on Monday night and they, you know, they didn't show up and then they've made so many crazy trades and, and you know, they moved obviously from Oakland into L.A. back to Oakland, now in Vegas. And uh, today, or this uh, late last night, they uh, fire their head coach and their GM, uh, Antonio Pierce, takes over as head coach uh, moving forward with the Raiders. But, I mean, gee, you know, you think about, um, you know, Al Davis. He still has, he still has one of the great lines uh, going. Yeah, I mean, when you talk about a guy that had fire and passion and built that franchise, he was interviewed and they asked him when he was a young kid if he was, um, uh, you know, on the playground. Uh, were you one of the first kids picked or were you one of the last kids picked? Al Davis looks in the camera and says, I was one of the kids doing the picking. That's the kind of franchise and the... 
atmosphere and the tradition uh, that was built with the Raiders and now just not like that anymore. Uh, Raiders with sweeping changes moving forward in the NFL. How about another trick last night? Not a treat at all uh, on the Arizona Diamondbacks. They get pounded. Really, okay, it was 11-7. A lot of the runs were in the 8th and ninth inning. Uh, Texas wins it 11-7. They scored, the Rangers scored 10 runs with two outs early in the game. Incredible lead. Um, let me pose this one at you. Uh, and send us a text at one 1440 When you think of pitching and you think of the World Series, do you think of Joe Mantiply? Do you think of, you know, the guys that came in after Joe Mantiply, like Castro, Nelson, Frias, um, Ryan Nelson actually mopped up a lot last night, pitched over five innings. But, I mean, I don't, those, those names just, they don't, you know, you think about Bob Gibson and Kurt Schilling and Madison Bumgarner, um, Mickey Lolich, Whitey Ford, Jack Morris for the Jays. You know, that's what you think about. And then you get that kind of thrown at you last night in game four of a World Series to watch that. Like, is that what you want to watch in the World Series? You want to watch a bullpen game that gets totally blown out of, uh, like, out of the water? It's 10 nothing. You turn the channel in the second inning, third inning. It can't be what you want. one 401 Now, the Texas Rangers with the 10 straight road wins, that matches... Um, a pro pro sports franchise record. The LA Kings had 10 road wins in the Stanley Cup playoffs. So you look at what Texas has done here. They went to Seattle at the end of the season, and everyone thought that the Rangers were basically going to have home field advantage and a bye as being one of the top two seeds. However, the series in Seattle doesn't work out. They got to come in as the wild card team, and they got to head to Tampa Bay. So they fly all the way from Seattle, or well, they had to go to Seattle as well, go to Tampa Bay, <laughs> beat the Rays. Now you go to Baltimore and everyone's going, uh, you know what, Orioles had a fabulous season. This isn't going to work out well on the road again. Beat the Orioles. Now you go to Houston. And, you know, you've got the perennial uh Champions, the world champions. You've got a team that is made for baseball playoffs. You've got Justin Verlander. You got Jordan Alvarez. Uh uh-uh. uh. Rangers go into Houston and pump the Astros. Now <laughs> you go in into Arizona and you've given the business to the D backs. What the Texas Rangers are doing, quite phenomenal. And, you know, while I was riding Mantiply and Garcia and Nelson and, and all these guys, make no mistake, I mean, the Rangers started a guy last night in Andrew Heaney who was taken out of the rotation because he was horror-awful. He was terrible at the midpoint of the season. The only reason he got back into the starting rotation uh, is because of all the injuries that Texas had. Heaney's whip was so bad, 
and he gave up so many home runs that they had to take him out. And the only reason he stayed in five innings last night, and he pitched well. You got to give him that. He, he did pitch well. But if that game is closer, he's not staying in five innings. He gets the win. It was a perfect game for the Rangers. You know what? I shouldn't say it was a perfect game because at the end of it, uh, Will Smith came in and gave up a little bit. Stratton gave up a little bit. And they had to go to their closer, Jose Leclerc, again. Who wasn't the closer at the start of the year? So... Uh, if you like what's going on in the World Series, send us off a text, one 401 If you like what's going on with the Edmonton Oilers as they get set to take on the Dallas Stars tomorrow night at Rogers Place, send us a text, one 401 Did you like the move uh, yesterday, waving Adam Ernie, who will be uh, sent to uh, Bakersfield once he clears? The Oilers uh, uh, sign Sam Gagne, and uh, bring him up from uh, Bakersfield uh, after he had a PTO and $775,000 for his contract. 16 years in the league for Sam Gagne. Had one goal, three assists in Baco. He's played over 1,000 games in the NHL. Of course, he was the Oilers' uh, sixth overall draft pick in 2007. 1,000 games, well, 1,015 uh, he's closing in on 200 goals. He's got 192, 519 points. Interesting, uh, uh, you know, yesterday everyone wanted Raphael Lavoie called up. Um, I I didn't want him called up. Um, I think a lot of other people think there's a time and a place. Some people thought it was a travesty that he wasn't called up. Um, I'm not sure exactly if he's 100% ready. If he were in the eyes of the organization, then he would have been called up. Maybe the fact that Sam Gagne has worked his way through two hip surgeries, veteran, obviously all comes into play. Uh, text coming back, one 401 1440 Corey uh, <laughs> as a Rangers fan, I'm loving the World Series. Hopefully today is the day. Yes, game number five tonight. Stair Farmer says, good morning, boys. Sam Gagne back in the blue and orange. Let's go, Sam. Always been a favorite oiler of mine. Good veteran, knows how to play in many situations. Uh, let's bring in the Duke of Delburn. Uh, good morning, Duke. Uh, did, hey, how was your Halloween? Did you go out on Halloween? Is this? Did you have a costume and everything? What happened? No, no costume, no tricks. No, t- uh, there were a few treats, uh, both in the ones that... Connor Halley brought into the uh, studio when he arrived yesterday, and then uh, him and I took another little trip down the uh, the mall post show and wrangled up a few more for the uh, couple trick or treaters that came by the studios. Both our our own mm-hmm. big glass doors here and the Stingray Studios later in the evening as well. There we had somebody here handing out some candy as part of the mall trick or treating endeavors, but nothing for me. Just a night of watching a little baseball, a couple hockey games, and. That was about it, really. Do you like the Sam Gagne call-up, or would you have rather seen Raphael Lavoie like some people? I'm on the Sam Gagne side. Yeah, I, th- I think the Gagne one certainly makes more sense. And when the news first came across uh, yesterday that Ernie was being waived, I think a lot of people were suddenly clamoring, thinking it might be the chance for uh, Lavoie to get his shot in the NHL. But like you said, there's nothing wrong with letting a guy kind of um, mature and, and season a little bit more down where he is... He was the AHL player of the week. Like, he's having a tremendous amount of success. What is the point in 
putting that on halt for him to come up and play on the fourth line in the NHL. It's experience, sure, but not the kind that I think you want a guy who you have still pretty high hopes for and a guy to be an impact player in your top six in the future. Why would you be trying to get him reps in a bottom six role uh, instead of continue to play a lot of minutes down where he's having a ton of success at the moment? Uh, he was on Jason Greger's show yesterday, Raphael yes. Lavoie, and had a great clip, had a great line about, it. you know, the goal isn't to get to the NHL, and I'm paraphrasing here, get to the NHL the fastest, it's to get to the NHL and stay the longest, mm-hmm. uh, something like that. So he's got, uh, he's saying the right things, he's doing the right things, he's going to get his chance. I mean, there's no question about it that he's going to get his chance. It's just a matter of time. Uh, we'll see what shakes down uh, in the future. Uh, yes, Oilers uh, taking on Dallas tomorrow. The Stars in Calgary tonight, so Dallas will be on back-to-backs and third game in four nights. So the Oilers have to take full advantage of that. Coming up on the big program today, 7.20, Joe Haggerty will join us from Boston. Man, the Bruins are off to a sensational, just an absolute sensational start coming out of the gates with all the players that were, you know, uh, not coming back from last year, Patrice Bergeron, and, uh, you know, a big, big loss there. So 8-0-1 to start the season to lead the Atlantic Division with 17 points. Mark Spector will check in at 8 o'clock on the mark for Booster Juice, as he does every day. Uh, we're going to kind of focus a little on basketball today and a little bit uh, on the James Harden trade as uh, Keith Pompey from the Philadelphia Inquirer will uh, join us at 8.20. Hey, our Wednesday guest, David Schlemko, the former NHLer, uh, will uh, check in at 9 o'clock, and I'm sure he enjoyed the uh, Heritage Classic, and we'll get some stuff, uh, all his thoughts on what's going on uh, with the Oilers and NAX and everything like that with uh, David Schlemko. Uh, excited to have Kristen Shilton, the NHL on ESPN at 9.20. Uh then at 10 o'clock, Lawrence Murray, he's with The Athletic, covers the L.A. Clippers. So we'll have the uh, other side of the hardened trade from the Clippers uh, standpoint. And then at 10.20 in studio, uh, part of our in the community, Condé Mansouré. Uh Now, he's a local product, and Condé's done a lot with local soccer um, about getting it off the ground, moving it. Uh, forward, it's uh, it's called the Born to Be Soccer Program (BTB), and he's part of a Game Changers uh, a plan. Uh, he's been recognized as a game changer within the soccer community. Conde Mansray will join us at uh, ten twenty. So we got another jam packed show coming up today. Uh, hope you can uh, stay with us and enjoy all our uh, interviews and insight. Text coming in one eight three three four zero one fourteen forty. We'll get to those in just a moment. Coming up after the break, Joe Haggerty pucks with Hags. He's got about twenty seven titles. Uh, that's coming up after the break on the Kevin Carey Show on Sports fourteen forty. Stay with us. All right, welcome back to the big program. And yeah, we are rocking and rolling uh, this morning on Sports 1440. Time now for the Puck Report brought to you by Fountain Tire. Right now during the Road Ready Sales event, you can save up to $225 on select tires and a bonus of $50 off any service until December 16th. Book your appointment at FountainTire.com. Some restrictions do apply as we welcome in uh, Joe Haggerty from Boston. Uh, Hacks with Hags, Pucks with Hags, uh, Boston Sports Journal, uh, 
Boston hockey now. Uh, what am I missing, Joel? What am I missing? <laughs> I, I think you've run through the checklist there. Well done, my friend. You got it all. You're going to have uh, multiple revenue these streams in the uh, revenue streams these days in the media, right? Well, you know, if you were a doctor, you'd have an alphabet behind your name. <laughs> That's right. I'm definitely not smart enough to be a doctor. That's why I write about hockey. <laughs> well, and you do a great job of it, and uh, we always uh, enjoy uh, your articles from a Boston perspective. Uh, are you surprised uh, the Bruins start this year with the changes they had in the offseason? Yeah, I mean, uh, surprised at the record. There's no question about it. Uh, that it I don't think anybody foresaw this kind of uh, record at, atop the Atlantic Division uh, to start the year. You know, I, it, it's... Uh, 8-0-1 is up there with like the historical starts of uh, greatest starts of all time in Bruins franchise. So uh, I don't think anybody saw that. Uh, just like last year, I don't think anybody saw them being the best regular season team in the history of the NHL. Uh, but this year, I think, it, you know, obviously with the retirements of Bergeron and Krejci, with so much turnover uh, due to the salary cap uh, this year with, with player leaving and other players coming in on one-year deals, veterans like Kevin Shattenkirk and Milan Lucic and, you know, players like Patrick Brown, players James Van Reems, like players like that. I think everybody assumed there was going to be some period of adjustment this year and that it might even be a rocky start when everybody got used to playing with each other. But I think what we've seen uh, in the early going is what we assumed the strengths of the team are going to be and why I thought they were still going to be a playoff team, uh, even with all the change, which is the defense is outstanding and they pretty much had no turnover there. Everybody... Uh, Except for Connor Clifton was back. The goaltending is is as uh, good or uh, even better than anybody else in the NHL. As uh, Allmark and Swayman again are playing like they want to win the Jennings Trophy again this year as the, the league's best goalie duo, uh, and they have, still have some pretty good players offensively. They can put the puck in the net when they need to. They're not going to blow teams away offensively and overwhelm teams with their depth like they did last year, but. Defense and goaltending is always a winning recipe in the NHL, and I think we're seeing that with the Bruins here in the early going. Joe Haggerty is our guest on Sports 1440, and one of the guys leading the pack is David Pasternak. How much have you seen him uh, elevate his game uh, so far this year? Yeah, and, like, you know, he scores 60-plus goals last year and really lives up to every bit of the offensive potential that we've seen for him from him throughout his career in Boston and really is hitting the prime of his career where he's going to have his best uh, offensive seasons. And, like, they need that. You know, they're going to need another. And I think this was sort of the bottom line with the changes that were made uh, with the Bruins that that were kind of forced on them is uh, if they're going to win with defense and goaltending, their offensive players, the guys that can put the puck in that, are going to have to have great years. And there's a lot of pressure on David Bostroneck's shoulders uh, to deliver offensively. And obviously he's done that uh, in the early going. He's really carried them at times um, uh, to wins. And we, we've seen this. I mean, that game against uh, Detroit where, you know, he basically just uh, took things over in the third period and, and really pushed them to victory when it looked like the wings were, were uh, clawing back and, and might get back into that game. That's exactly what he's done uh, all year when uh, the moments have come up. Uh, he's he's risen to the occasion. He looks like he's going to be capable of another, you know, outstanding offensive season like last year. And, you know, he, it, 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 it's interesting, though. As good as Pasternak has been, and he's been amazing, eight goals in nine games, 14 points. Um, you know, I think everybody on this Bruins team, even though they're really good at 8-0-1, 
Uh, aside from maybe the goaltending, uh, I think everybody on this team can even take their game to a higher level, which wow. is, uh, I think, encouraging for a lot of, a lot of people uh, when they're watching this team. Because offensively, they're still not clicking on all cylinders, not even close. And, um, you know, it's if, if they can get even better from where they are right now, as long as they stay healthy, they could be a pretty scary good team. Uh, in, encouraging for the Bruins, scary for the rest of the league, for sure, as we are speaking with Joe Haggerty. Um, uh, Pucks with Hags uh, covers the Boston Bruins and covers them well uh, on Sports 1440 here. Uh, one guy that maybe is off to a slow start is uh, Edmonton's. Jake DeBrusque, uh, just three assists in the first eight games, coming up to be an unrestricted free agent. Is that maybe wearing on uh, Jake DeBrusque, do you think? I think that's a good question, and uh, maybe to some degree it is. I know, the, in, and I have not talked to him about this specifically recently, uh, but I know when he came into Boston, um, you know, at captain's practices and then towards the beginning of training camp, um, there really hadn't been much discussion between him and the Bruins about an extension. Mm-hmm. And uh, the longer it goes where there's progress or not much discussion going on uh, towards uh, an extension that's going to keep him in Boston, I, I do think Jake's the kind of guy that I think that's going to be on his mind, you know, and uh, I think it's, it's going to you know, uh, potentially uh, at points, I think. And that's definitely, you know, it's it's one of those things you always got have to be concerned about with players that are in contract years. If there's some uncertainty as to whether they're going to not be back or not, it, it kind of reminds me of the situation that played out a few years ago with uh, Tory Krug mm-hmm. and the Bruins in his last year, where there was not a lot of progress being made, not a lot of discussions happening about a contract extension. And at the end of the year, you kind of found out that the Bruins, you know, were okay with letting him get to free agency and signing somewhere else because they just weren't going to you know, put up the kind of money in term that the St. Louis Blues ended up doing with him. Uh, and you wonder if that's going to be the same situation with Jake. But the other part of it with DeBrusque, too, is that last year he played right wing with Patrice Bergeron and Brad Marshall. Yeah. He had a pretty prime uh, top-line spot where it was going to bring out the best that he could give. And, and, you know, to DeBrusque's credit, to Jake's credit, he had an outstanding season. Like, he was playing uh, great with and without the puck. He was playing consistent all year. He was playing tough. Uh, you know, he was really doing everything the Bruins wanted him to do in addition to putting the puck in the net. And if he hadn't gotten hurt, he would have had his first 30-goal season. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he just needs to tap into the player that he was last year, even if he's not necessarily playing with 37 and 63 anymore. Uh, and I think that will uh, that will perk up his game quite a bit because we all know the speed, the scoring ability, all the talent in the world is within uh, Jake DeBrett's body. Well, I'll see uh, Louie here in about a couple hours uh, at uh, Oilers practice, and no one wants to see uh, Jake get it going more than Louie for sure. Uh, Joe Haggerty, our guest on Sports 1440, uh, is Matthew Poitras. Uh, The story, the surprise, uh, whatever you want to call it, um, you know, eight, ten games into the season here. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, he's really like, uh, he's the hockey guy for the Bruins. You know, the fact that he emerged when he was ready to play in the NHL, mm-hmm. right when uh, Bergeron and Krejci retired and, and uh, they lost both of their top six centers, their you know franchise top six centers that they built their rosters around for the last few years, um, to see them at once, not have a ton of ready-made replacements. You know, like, how about the doing a pretty good job? But really, ideally, Charlie Coyle is a third-line center at at, a, at his best. Even that's mm-hmm. really where slots perfectly. 
And he was, they were thinking he was going to be uh, one of the top two centers on this team. But offensively, he doesn't have kind of that dynamic ability to play with high-end offensive players. And lo and behold, Patra comes in in training camp at 19 years old and shows that he's ready to go. Um, not only um, playmaking, not only like offense, but like winning puck battles, going to the areas he needs to go to competitiveness, playing two-way hockey, playing a 200-foot game that a center is going to be expected to play at the NHL level. You know, there's some things he needs to work on, face-offs and, and certain other things that are just details about being an NHL player and a pro player at the NHL level. But, you know, the talent is clearly there, and he, they've uh, found somebody that I think is going to be a high-end center for them for the next decade. Um, and they, he couldn't have come at a better time. And to be ready at 19 years old like he is is, is a credit to him, but it's also the Bruins are very lucky because he mm-hmm. has played a huge part, a very big part, and them getting off to a good start because they needed another center that had a big offensive upside that could play top six, and Potra's been able to do that. Well, he's got three goals, two assists. Uh, he had 95 points last year in Guelph. Uh, he's not a big guy, Joe. How is he handling nope. How is he handling that traffic, the bigger the bigger players in the NHL? How is he handling that? He, he's doing well. Like He does a really good job, even though he's not the biggest, strongest guy, of shielding players with his body when he's uh, protecting the puck in the offensive zone, but he's fast and very good with his stick so he's been able to um, you know also create plays A and B kind of avoid huge hits you know he has that players his size and Pasternak was this uh, this way to a degree when he was younger they have to have some elusiveness to be able to slip out of getting like hit really hard by guys and, and have that instinct to know you know when to get rid of the puck or keeping themselves out of areas where they're really going to get smoked by somebody when they have the puck at the NHL level, because obviously when you're a player like Patra, you're going to start getting the other team's attention and they're going to target you uh, a little bit more. And he's been able to be elusive in that way. So uh, he's done a really good job in that. And like I said before, like he goes into the corners, the battle, he goes against bigger, stronger guys. And then sometimes he comes out with it. Like when I watch him play, he kind of reminds me a little bit of a hybrid between uh, Patrice Bergeron mm-hmm. and David Krejci because he wins a lot of battles like Bergeron always did and puts himself in the in the areas where you have to win those battles mm-hmm. uh, like Bergeron does. But he also has that ability to um, pull the puck up, slow things down, change speeds, see open players all over the ice. You know, great uh, vision and great instincts for a kid that's 19 years old to set up his teammates and to do to create plays offensively just like Crazy does. So, like, he brings a lot of intriguing, interesting things to the table as a center, but, like, you know, I was talking about this with Trent Frederick yesterday. Mm-hmm. You've got to be a pretty special talent uh, to be 19 years old and be able to play in the NHL. There's got to be something really special about you, and there's no question there is about Matt Potter. Joe Haggerty with us on Sports 1440. Hacks with Hags, Pucks with Hags, Boston Sports Journal, Boston Hockey Now. How does he find time to do this show? Who knows? But um, <laughs> Charlie McAvoy says... I, co- I, co- I coach my 10-year-old son's oh. hockey teams too somehow, so I, oh, I've got a lot going on. Where, where, yeah. where do you, what, tell us a little bit about that, Joe. Uh, he plays uh, sports uh, for his town here, and he also plays a uh, club for a team called the Crimson Hockey Club. So I coach both those. We were actually in... Oh. Uh, in Lake Placid last weekend for a hockey tournament where they got the the, uh, the uh, bronze medal. So I, I I actually find time to do all that stuff too. In addition to doing everything else, so you're right. I am a very busy. <laughs> so h- how rewarding is that to coach your son? Oh, I mean it's the best, right? You don't you know you you know as a parent, especially I'm older, I'm almost 
50. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was uh, just around 40 when I had my started having kids. You realize, I think, when you're older, like you're never going to get those years back when the kids are this age, and you got to spend as much time with them as you can and, and spend quality time with them. So, like, not only do I enjoy spending time with him and you know helping him learn the game and seeing him get better and seeing all the life lessons you learn uh, from playing hockey and playing sports to see him go through that. But like I selfishly, I have learned to really love like coaching the kids too. And we won a championship last year. It was really fun. Um, but to see all the kids bond together, to see them learn, to see the camaraderie that they have and just look forward to going to the ice and, you know, spending time with these good mm-hmm. kids that just love to play hockey. Uh, there's really nothing better in the world. So even though, like I was telling you, it's kind of like a crazy, busy mm-hmm. uh, life right now with the kids, the age they are 10 and uh, seven, my two kids. Yeah. I wouldn't uh, change it for anything in the world because I get so much out of it and I feel like I help the kids too. Uh, and as you well know, as everybody in Canada knows, like there is nothing like uh, hockey uh, in, in playing, learning, uh, the life lessons, mm-hmm. the friends you make, like the families that you become friends with when you're involved in hockey teams, like all that stuff. There's so much that is going to pay him back, my son Finn. Yeah when he's an adult playing hockey now, that it's it's really fun to watch. Did you, uh, S- Sam, did you say his name was Sam? Uh, Finn, S- F-I-N. Okay, Finn, sorry. Uh, so did he uh, um, sort of fall in love with hockey because dad was at the rink all the time, or how did that work? Yeah, I think that was part of it. I think he definitely did um, because I was always at the rink. We had him on skates when he was four. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of my cousins played college hockey. Uh, one of them played at Northeastern, played in the Bean Pot. Uh, mm-hmm. My uncle was a goalie coach at Boston University for uh, for like 20 years for Jack Parker. So, like, I, I've always had hockey in my family in addition to covering it. So, like, yeah, he was fascinated from the time he was a kid. And he loves watching the Bruins. Uh, you know, he's a center like Patrice Bergeron, plays the game very similar to the way Bergeron does. But his favorite player is Marchand, so he also <laughs> likes to mix it up on the ice a little bit too, which is which is fine. I actually I joke with Marchand about it all the time that, you know, my son's spending all this time in the penalty box because that he's his favorite player, and he just chuckles and says that's because he's a smart kid. Oh. So I don't know, I don't know if he is or not, but it's pretty fun to watch. Isn't that the greatest when you can kind of share those moments like that? Oh, yeah, it really is. And they, they get a kick out of it, too, because, like, when you talk to them, uh, they, you know, they had went through those same things when they were kids playing, too, the tournaments and all those mm-hmm. memories and the stuff like that. So it's really fun to be able to chat with them about it. And I remember talking to Charlie McAvoy when we went to Lake Placid, and he was telling me about when he was there uh, as, a, I think, a 12-year-old or a 13-year-old, mm-hmm. and uh, they snuck out of the hotel at night to went on the, the sneak onto the speed skating <laughs> Olympic rink. Uh, at Lake Placid and got booted off after oh. about a half an hour. So these kids all have these memories too. Oh. Even the guys that are in the pros right now. Uh, just a couple quick ones. And you mentioned uh, uh, Charlie McAvoy, Joe. Uh, so out uh, for four games here. So how do the Bruins kind of pick up the slack there? Yeah, that's going to be difficult. Um, you know, really tough. Uh, especially with Matt Grizzlick is now going to be out for a couple of weeks with an upper body injury. He suffered against Florida. That was a really bruising, tough game uh, that they won in overtime against the Panthers, as they always are against Florida in the last couple of years. So um, you're talking about missing two key defensemen right there right off the bat. And the Bruins are in difficult salary cap straits right now, too, as far as the moves they can make and the, the roster maneuvering that they have to do. So 
Um, it'll be interesting to see who they call up and how they handle it. Uh, one thing I would watch for, uh, their top defenseman prospect, Mason Lowry, is in mm-hmm. Providence right now, a former second-round pick, Ohio State defenseman. Uh, very good training camp. He may come up and we may get his first look at the NHL. Uh, now because of this suspension and because of the injury to Grizzly. But, you know, the the other thing with McAvoy that I think is of concern is this is a pretty significant suspension, four games. Uh, you just wonder when he comes back if it's going to take anything away from his physical game at all, if he's going to be, you know, hesitant, if he's going to, you know, not play truly the way he needs to play uh, because he doesn't want to get banged again because he knows that the NHL player safety department's kind of watching them now. Uh, one last one for Joe Haggerty. Totally kind of out there, Joe. I was watching a Bruins telecast uh, telecast about a week ago or so, and they had a little feature in the intermission uh, with Johnny Busick. So, of course, he's from oh, yeah. Edmonton, and, uh, you know, uh, we really keep uh, tabs on the Chief. And I think it was something about an IPA beer going on. Do you know anything about that? Can you kind of kind of touch on that? I do know that Chiefs has uh, a beer out. I, I have not tasted it yet. I've seen uh, mention of it. Uh, it, it. I forget the name of it, but I, I know Spookle, the music Chief, and I beer here. It'll certainly come up, and I think you can probably get it shipped to you. Um, <laughs> but, like, it is, I gotta, I gotta say, it is awesome still you know, to see Chief around. Mm-hmm. Um, he comes around uh, fairly often, even now, still, uh, to Bruins games. Just cutting out a bit too, Joe. Can you just maybe get a little clearer? Um, just cutting out. I don't want our listeners to miss this part of the story. Yeah, can you hear me? Yeah, a little bit, but maybe you just kind of just kind of phasing in a little, little bit. Okay, that's well, what I'm doing here. So I there we I will, go. Yep. Uh, try and if you got me. Yeah, we're good now, Joe. Um, so uh, travel. He was a traveling secretary uh, when we were going to Prague, and uh, we were playing the Arizona Coyotes in the Czech Republic. The first two games to start the year. And Johnny Busick, we traveled with the team, flew with them to the Czech Republic. He hand wrote out every single visa card for every single person that was on the plane and did it himself. Uh, and, and like, I couldn't believe that he did that. A Hall of Fame mm-hmm. hockey player, one of the all-time greats, took his job so seriously as the traveling secretary that he was handing out everybody's you know visa forms to give oh. out at, at customs and doing all these sort of things, even when he was what. I don't know, 75 years old or whatever at the time. So, like, that gave you an, an indication of, like, you know, how seriously he took his job, how uh, how much he took pride in what he did, and, and everything that made him uh, a Hall of Fame person, a Hall of Fame hockey player. It's uh, He's one of my favorite people whenever I run into him. And, you know, I even had that ingrained in my head before I met him because mm-hmm. my dad was a huge Bruins fan when he played. So, you know, I, I knew how great those Bruins teams were when he played back in the 70s and 60s. Well, I really appreciate that insight, Joe. And I, I love talking about the old guys. And, and your son, that was great. Uh, really appreciate your time. Uh, hopefully we can hook up again in the near future. Thanks, Joe. Oh, you got it. My pleasure. Anytime. Love to talk hockey. All right. That's Joe Haggerty. Pucks with Hags. Uh, Hacks with Hags. Boston Sports Journal. Boston Hockey now. And... I mean, he's a busy guy. And part of our uh, puck report brought to you by Fountain Tire. Uh, You can head to FountainTire.com to check out the winter lineup and ask about seasonal tire storage as well. Johnny Busick, I mean, 
absolute legend. Uh, you know, born here, uh, I golfed with his son, Randy, s- several years ago at the Derrick. Had a lot of fun with that. Uh, played with the Edmonton Flyers, you know, and we're talking in the mid-50s. And they had guys on that team like you wouldn't believe, like Normie Ullman and, and Bronco Horvath. And there was an old guy named Larry Zydell who was a tough son of a gun. So uh, it was neat to, to kind of hear that angle of the story for sure. Um, when we come back, we'll, uh, we're going to have some little, uh, uh, some sound from yesterday's Oilers dressing room, uh, availability with Vinny DeHarnay, he of his first NHL goal in the Heritage Classic. That's coming up on the Kevin Carey Show on Sports 1440. Stay with us. Ah, let me put on my surprise face. It's 746. Uh, that means Brian Adams as the Duke always comes through with, uh, BA, his all-time favorite entertainer of all time. Is that a fair assessment, Duke? Top five, probably. You always exaggerate that fact, Kev. <laughs> I, uh, I do not shy away about my fandom for uh, Brian Adams, but uh, to put him that high on the list as a, a de facto number one. Top uh, 10? Top 10 for okay. sure. Yeah, yeah. You know, you talk about uh, a, a fan, being a fan of something. Uh, Johnny Busick, I was always a fan of uh, of his, I guess just because of his longevity in the league, I got to meet him, and we were just talking about it with Joe Haggerty uh, in our last segment. I got to meet him uh, when I was doing Oilers games on radio, and the Oilers did a game in Boston. Just a thrill because of the history uh, of what he did in Edmonton and being from Edmonton, and then an amazing career. Just you know, he started in Detroit. A lot of people sort of forget that a little bit because he played so many years with Boston, but he played over 1500 games in the NHL and just had a marvelous career. And, you know, uh, you know, first ballot hockey hall of famer with 556 goals, just uh, an absolute pleasure to, to talk to that man. That would be a guy to get on this show. I would do something to do that. Uh, so Duke, there's uh, you and uh, slats can maybe work that magic. That would be unbelievable to have him, Uh, on the show. Oilers in action tomorrow against uh, the Dallas Stars. Dallas and Calgary tonight. Uh, So the Oilers will be getting the Stars on a back-to-back, plus three games in four nights because uh, Monday the Stars took on Columbus, won that game 5-3. Dallas off to a very good start. We'll see what uh, the Flames offer tonight after uh, getting uh, crushed, I guess you could say, even though it didn't look like that on the scoreboard in the uh, uh, Heritage Classic on Sunday. In that game, Vincent DeHarnay scored his first NHL goal. An absolute howitzer from the point. <laughs> Not exactly, but man, it bounced and bounced and then found its way in. And uh, when he explains it to the grandkids, as they say, 30, 40 years later, uh, it will be a bullet uh, from the point. There will be no video evidence uh, down the road there. Uh, yesterday, uh, the uh, big defenseman for the Oilers uh, was uh, centered in a media scrum and uh, had these comments about uh, his first NHL goal and how things are going so far. How many uh, messages, uh, texts, phone calls, emails? Uh, quite a bit, <laughs> quite a bit. Uh, I didn't, I didn't respond to all of them uh, the the night of. Uh, I, I took some time yesterday, but it was uh, it was really awesome to see how everyone was so happy for me and. Uh, 
Nationals was uh, something pretty special, and it was cool to see like everyone around here, um, everyone in the league in general, reaching out and, and being uh, being happy for me. It was it was a really it was really cool. Was there a favorite one or an emotional one? I don't know if a friend, ex coach, family. Uh, member that really I mean, um, obviously, I uh, once I got home, I Facetime my my parents and my brother, uh, and like they. They were pretty emotional, you know, for for them for to for me to to score a goal in such a big game, and uh, they, they were all watching it back home. So it was it was a pretty fun FaceTime. To I had the the puck with me too, so it was it was pretty sweet. When did you find out it was your goal? Was it when they announced it? No, we couldn't really hear the announcements like on the ice. I had no idea. It was Kaner came to me after he got out of the box, like five minutes left. He goes, "Hey, I don't think I like I touched it." But I mean, it was five minutes left. We're up by two. I, I didn't really care. You know, I was like, all right, we got to win this one. And then once he scored five two, and I kind of sat back down. I was like, I, I just scored my first goal. Like it's pretty. That's pretty cool. <laughs> uh, when you look back at your, your own story, obviously you had to persevere throughout your hockey career to notch goal number one. What kind of goes through your mind, and how do you describe that? Um, kind of when you get called up, you know, it's kind of the same, uh, a little bit of the same feeling, the same kind of, you see like everything you've been through, like everything, my family, the sacrifices they've done for me, my brother, like, it's just, I, I think about those people right away because without them, I wouldn't be here. And for me to be able to, you know, like you, you would have told me a year ago after, like while I was getting two hand surgeries that a year later I would be playing the Heritage Classic, scoring my first NHL goal, I would probably laugh at you. So for for it to actually happen and for me to be here and and go go through all of this, that's uh, it's, it's a dream come true. In terms of that shot, though, you guys had talked and Coach talked about it last week, getting more pucks yeah. to that, more bodies yeah. to the net, and you basically scored three goals that way. Yours and a couple yeah. of just get the puck to the net and, yeah. and see what happens. Uh, um, yeah, 100. percent And uh, I know Kaner. He always tells me, he's like, "Dude, once you get it, put it on that. Put it on that." He's he's he's, he's a big guy who's always peaches for that, and he always tells it the the demon to uh, do it if we can. So as soon as I saw that it was him who passed it to me, I was like, "I just got to find a way to put it on that. Doesn't matter how." And um, and I thought he tipped it. Like when you look at the replay, like quick one angle, you see the bounce, but the other angle, you're like, oh, like that's a great tip. Um, and yeah, he was, he was, it was a, it was a moving screen. He did a great job uh, net front, and I think that if we, uh, if we do that uh, every night, I think it's going to give us a, a better chance uh, to win. Vinny, you've got uh, a goal on two shots, fifty percent shooting. You might not start shooting more. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I gotta trust. I mean, I gotta trust that I can get it through more. Uh, not kind of overthink it. Not trying to be to pass it too much and uh, to try to make plays. Yes, we have to make plays, but at the end of the day. Um, I know I can get it through and it doesn't have to be hard. It just got to get there. So, uh, yes, it will be a focus of mine uh, within the next couple uh, couple days for and, sure. And obviously it was a big moment for you individually. You've talked how you wanted to win the game. But yeah. it might have been the best defensive effort by the entire group, yeah. five on five. Yeah. You really limited. What did you like about your team's play five on five defensively? I, I liked, I, like, we played to our I, I, like identity. I thought that, that that game, that was us. That was Edmonton Oilers. That was the first game of the season. Like, even in Nashville, like yes, it was great. We won, but it was not the same, uh, same speed, the same like, kind of like a tornado. You know, like when we have our three forwards buzzing up and down the ice, like bat checking, tracking hard. Like it's so so much easier for us to have good gaps and to be tight on them. So when we're connected, I, I would say that that was the biggest difference. We were connected, and uh, I think when we play like that, we're a really hard team. Uh, to play against, really hard team to beat, and uh, it was good to see, and we just got to build on it. You know, it's cool, it was a great game and great win, 
but you know we got to keep going. Okay, we're still two six and one. And we still have to win uh, a couple to get back to 500. Um, so right now it's Dallas. Dallas is our next uh, our next team, and we'll, we're we're just focused on there. That's uh, Oilers defenseman Vincent DeHarnay scored his first NHL goal in the Heritage Classic. So uh, what a thrill that would have been. And um, you heard Jason Greger ask a couple questions about um, five on five. The Oilers had four even strength goals against the Flames. Didn't give up an even strength goal. So um, that was a big factor in that. And, you know, one of the we all know that Vincent DeHarnay is not here for his offense. That's that's standard. Uh, and he was kind of selling the Oilers a little short there, saying they were 2-6 and 1, so 2-5 and 1 heading into tomorrow's game against Dallas. But uh, one of the biggest things for Vinny DeHarnay is that he's even on the season. And when you look at the Oilers being minus 10, in goal differential, that tells you a lot. And you might say plus minus means squat, but if you are minus 10 in goal differential and you're, call it whatever you want, sixth slash seventh defenseman, probably sixth, I guess, is even on the year after, you know, a 2-5-1 and one start where your goal differential is minus 10, I think you're pretty happy about that. Uh, when we come back, we will check in with Mark Spector from Rogers Sportsnet for On The Mark for Booster Juice. Uh, Before that, time for a little Sports 1440 update. Brought to you by First Round. Watch NFL football at First Round Monday, Thursdays, and Sundays. You can win a trip to watch your favorite team next year. Here is the Duke.